The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. Hey, Dr. Bill here. So we're getting ready to do a really fun Meet the mentor. But before we do, I just want you to know we got our new Leap brochures, July 16th to the 22nd at UCLA. It will be awesome. And for those of you who came to Leap in 2022, we had a special guest, Richard Branson, and he is making available his masterclass tomorrow. So you should be getting an email from us telling us how you can get kind of a preview of the Richard Branson Masterclass on how to be successful in business. We're super duper excited about that. Uh, But Leap 2023 will be full force. We're expecting 450 students. Um, it's, It's going to be epic. And part of Leap for those of you that don't know, that make it so incredibly special is the program culminates on Friday with something we call a mentor workshop, where we get a hundred different professionals from all walks of life who come and literally sit at a table. It's like speed dating. And every 30 minutes we rotate and you as students get to actually ask these people questions about their business, the things they like, the things they don't like, the challenges they had, how they overcame them. And it's it's really phenomenal. And it, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you one of our mentors from Leap 2022 who came and participated named Rob Angel. And I'll tell you a little bit about Rob. In 1985, wow, I wasn't even born yet. Great. Oh, yeah, maybe I was. <laughs> Rob Angel was a 26-year-old waiter from Seattle with no previous experience with no plan, and with no money. Angel created the phenomenally successful and iconic game board called Pictionary. One of my favorites. I've always loved this. And by the way, I'm really good at it. I'd love to play you at it. I'll beat you. You Um, totally beat me. I'm terrible at it, just so you know. Oh, good, good, good. That will make me even happier. Um, He made his own rules by relying on his intuition, his hard work, and unwavering unwavering entrepreneurial spirit to build Pictionary into a global powerhouse. At first putting together the first 1,000 games by hand in his tiny apartment, and in four short years, Pictionary became the biggest selling game board on the planet. For the next 15 years, Rob Shepard's Pictionary grew to 38 million games over 60 countries with over 1.2 billion in sales. In 2001, he sold Pictionary to the toy giant Mattel and has become one of the biggest selling um, board games of all time. So welcome to Meet the Mentor. And um, I have to tell you, I know the Mattel family. Oh, wow. Barbie is is still my patient. (laughs) No, for real. Her name, her name is Barbara Siegel, and her parents, the Handlers, started Mattel. And you'll never guess what her brother's name is. Uh, Ken. Ken. Of course. 
for Thank real. <laughs> and they are Barbie and Ken. And in fact, um, I, they're launching a movie this year called Barbie. Um, I've, I've seen it. Looks, yeah. Looks oh, really you saw fun. the movie or you saw that it's the coming? Trailer. The trailer. The trailer. Yeah. Um, so anyhow. Um, so, yeah. What was, I mean, like you're just sitting around one day and thought, I'm going to make a game. Like, how did that all happen, Rob? Uh, not exactly. I was sitting around with roommates after college, uh, 1982, 22 years old. Like I said, no money, no job, really. It was waiting tables. And we started sketching words out of the dictionary. I mean, really, that's all it was. Two guys on one side, there's four roommates, two guys on the other side of the table, whisper a word and start sketching. And we had a ball. I mean, it was crazy. You know, we, we just started playing all night long and we couldn't get enough of it. And then the next night and the next night. But this is back when board games were all the rage. There was no internet, no video games. And even then I said, you know, this is a board game. I mean, I could see the translation. I could see how it would work. And then, of course, I didn't do anything with it for about three years. So typical entrepreneur, have an idea, didn't do anything with it. But I couldn't get the idea out of my head because I just remember playing it and night after night and seeing people having fun. So I thought, if I could translate that fun into a game, maybe I got something. Hold that thought. I have to tell you something really funny. There was a man who was my patient for um, 20 years who created five of the most popular game shows on TV ah. ever. And, and this man was a genius. And I asked him, how did you know when, when you had a, a hit? And he said, the way I knew is I would watch my friends watch people playing the game. Right. And when they started engaging and yelling out answers, his name was Bob, that I knew, I knew for sure it was a hit. And same, kind of like your thing, like it becomes addictive, right? right? It becomes addictive. And, and Bob is exactly right. I was involved, but seeing the reactions of everybody else, right? Yeah, it's like, I'll validate it because I think it's fun, but maybe it was the beer we were drinking. I wanted to make sure and I could see that other people were enjoying it. And that's really what kept me going. And that was the juice. Okay, so now you have this idea. Okay, yeah. how'd you come up with the name, Pictionary? Uh, we were playing one night and we used to play out of the dictionary. And one night, one of the guys was playing an old game called Fictionary, now called Balderdash. We go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm playing this game called Fictionary. And we all, the light bulb goes on. It's like, oh, this game is Pictionary. Obviously, pictures, dictionary, boom. And it was much easier than saying, you know, come over and play the game where you look at a word out of the dictionary and then you sketch it and then you get Pictionary stuck. Okay. So once you got the idea for the yeah. concept and you really kind of figured it out in your brain, what was the next step? Like, did you get like a working model? Did you have somebody do a mock-up for you? Like, what, what happened next? Yeah, yeah. I had to get a prototype, had to play it with other people as a board game just to see, you know, if it was as fun as I remember. And so I got a couple of partners, but physically had to put together the first prototype by hand and check it out. And then we had to actually produce the game, right? We've got, we've got to sell something. But the whole now, idea... Did you ever do like focus groups where you just kind of like gave it to people to, and sat and watched them do it? Yeah, yeah. By the time we were getting ready for production, 
we literally put the box with the rules, had people sit at a table, and I just sat back and watched. That got us to know what rules work and what they understand and what they don't, uh, what part of the game work and does it. As a matter of fact, from those play tests, so if you played Pictionary, there's a category called all play, and that's where everybody plays. During the play test, we realized that's the most fun. So I created an entire category just for that category. And then I made some of the other regular categories all play words as well, because the test said, this is the most fun. So I wanted to make sure I incorporated that. That's so much fun. Back in the day, you know, I invented Zoom, tooth whitening. Yeah. And we we had focus groups and we were trying to figure out like what we should call this product. And when we hit the focus group with Zoom, it just lit up. And like, I knew that was going to be a hit. Who knew that today it would be probably one of the most recognized names in the world, right? Yeah, no, you see, that's the whole thing, right? When I got started, I didn't say, okay, I'm going to create the best board game in the world. I'm going to make a lot of money. It's going to take on the world. I'm going to take on the big game companies. All I was going and saying was, I've got a really good game here. I've got a good concept. I'm going to package it. I'm going to try to sell it. We'll see what happens and everything else will take care of itself as long as I stay true to the mission of this fun board game. Everything else will fall into place. Awesome. So you create the game, you make a prototype, you kind of work out the kinks, you have people playing it. Then what? Well, then I got to sell, you know, I got to manufacture the game to get going, right? So we're going to do a thousand games. This is before the internet. So you can't just push a button and say, make me a game. So we had nine different companies supplying parts to my crappy little 975 foot square apartment, the boards, the dice, the cubes, the pencils. And we physically, my two partners and I put the thousand games together by hand. And as I say, you know, my fingerprints are literally on every game. And we put it together and took us six days. And I got to be honest with you, man, we had a ball in those days. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have really a game plan except for create this game. Had an had absolute blast putting it together. All right. So now you have a thousand games. Yeah. yeah. Now what? <laughs> well, that's the exact same question I asked myself. I realized, you know, I see that first game coming up, you know, coming out in my hands and I'm going, oh, now I'm going to go sell this thing. I mean, there's a progress process. Got to make sure somebody else likes it. So I was the salesman. I was the guy that had to go out. So I literally put the game under my arm and started selling it. But the big deal was we realized after watching the play test, we weren't selling a game, right? Anybody can create and sell a board game. We were Let selling- me get an experience. We were selling an experience. I'm, I'm well, still, yeah. But where did you sell it? I mean, it's not the kind of thing like you're going to go door to door like yeah. the old encyclopedia guys. Exactly what I did. The, uh, no, exactly- you went, literally you went door to door. I literally put the game under my arm. I walked, I'm not making this up. I walked down the street and I realized we're selling an experience. I see a storefront. I would go in and start to sell them. I sold to a real estate company, right? Who sells a game to a real estate company? I go family values. You put the game on the counter. Like I was great idea. Pharmacies, department stores, knickknack stores. I sold to anybody and everybody because we didn't have access to Toys R Us and all the rest right, of it. Right, right, of course. And so, and so it was like, you sold something. You might as well be selling Pictionary. All right. So 
I love the book, The Tipping Point. You had to have a tipping point. Yeah, I mean, there had to be a point where you stopped the door-to-door thing and all of a sudden, like, you got a big order for a store. Like, what was your first real tipping point? Well, the first big order was Nordstrom, the department store. And so till then, we'd sell mom and pops, right? Six right. years, 12 there. And I go into Nordstrom, and I'm giving them the moon and the stars. I want this account. I mean, I'll I'll do demonstrations. I will do anything it takes. And so they took 12 for six stores. That's 72 games. We had 1,000. I just sold 72. That was, wow. that, I got to tell you, that was an amazing deal. But what, we wound up, what I wound up doing, you got to get it on the shelf. But my job, as important, if not more important, is getting it off the shelf. You can't just put it out there and see right. what happens. Right. So we did what was common back in the day, or we pioneered demonstrations. So you would see me at the bottom of the escalator, downtown Nordstrom, 12 hours a day with a little table, my game, accosting people coming down the elevator, play my game, play my game. And I did that for 12 hours a day, every day. And some days, 12 12 hours, I sold three games. And I was ecstatic because that's three more games out in the marketplace. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got to do what you got to do, right? I mean, today you would have Kim Kardashian play the game. And then the whole world would buy it. So well, but the thing, the thing is, real briefly, though, is it was a good game. So our whole goal was to get it in people's hands. Kim Kardashian, get the product in their hands. You can sell anything once, but we needed people to play it so we could get more reorders and resells. So it had to be a great game. And word of mouth was social media of the day. You play it, you tell your friend. You so how did you start to really get like, you know, recognized? I mean doing these onesies and twosies, even Nordstrom isn't going to get you to be a global product. Well, it did get us recognized because on a global scale, of course, somebody in, uh, you know, Jersey and New Jersey doesn't even know about us, but we kicked the crud out of Seattle. We kept everything local. So the entire city of Seattle with all those demonstrations and the game sales knew of, of, uh, did you guys work with a PR firm? Uh, no, we had nothing. I mean, we had no money. PR, come on. This I was, mean, look, I mean, when I started my dental practice, I had no money. And so yeah. I actually had a publicist who worked with me on a barter. And then once I saw the value of PR and I started to make a little bit of money, I allocated, you know, a few thousand dollars a month for PR. And that really helped escalate the growth of my practice. If we had money and knowing I agree 100%. The value of PR and publicity. If we had any money, we would have done it. But we didn't. We didn't have that luxury. They didn't. Okay. So you started off. I I will. I'll. So you started off. You got the Nordstrom thing was was big, but there had to be another really big thing that happened that really gave you national and global exposure. What was that? So we really did a really great job in Seattle, and Jan. This is we started in uh, '85. By December, January, all people are buying in Seattle's Pictionary. So Mattel, Hasbro, Worlds of Wonder, all these companies come into the toy stores because they only see the toy stores. How many monopolies and risks do you need? Well, none. We're only selling Pictionary now in Seattle. That got the big boys' attention. That's when Mattel and Hasbro and everybody said, who are these guys? That's when we started having conversations about licensing and taking it global. I mean, 
we're still, I'm still living in this cruddy apartment making $500 a month. So we can't take it globally. We ran out of financing, no big deal. That's how entrepreneurship works. And so we had to license the game, but everybody was aware of us by uh, early 1986. So when did you actually sell to Mattel? That wasn't for 20 years later, 18 years later. So, so how did you continue the growth of the company? Was it still just word of mouth or did you no, no. Point well, hire a publicist? Well, we did. We hired the same publicist, publicist that uh, did Trivial Pursuit. But word of mouth was so strong, sales were exponential on their own. They were just going crazy. And we had the license. So we had a deal with Milton Bradley, biggest game company in the world. They're going to take it global, going to take it nationwide for us. And so we go, this is great. We get the deal, we get the contract, big royalty rate. I mean, I'm making a lot of money off this contract. I'm ready to retire, but I'm really not because the one thing that was important to us, to your point, we wanted to stay involved. I mean, to license a product, who knows what they're going to do with it, right? This is where my future lies. So we said, we want to stay involved. You have to keep the game as, as it is, and let's do a deal. They wouldn't let us stay involved. We didn't trust them. We had to you know, we knew it was best for Pictionary. Right. So we, we turned them down. And staying involved is one thing, but even I think sometimes more relevant is a performance clause, you know, because you can be involved and they can promise you the moon. But when we did licensing agreements with Zoom and, and other products I've done, you know, we basically put in a performance clause where it's like, look, if you can't sell 10,000 units in the first year, we, you know, we get the product back and we're going to license it with somebody else. Absolutely true. Absolutely important. And we absolutely had those. We had all the performance marketing spend because we understood the value, advertising spend, uh, discounting, uh, discounts. And yes, we, we had to make sure that there was performance guarantees. But the one thing they wouldn't uh, put in the contract is they wouldn't touch the packaging without our approval. So would you have allowed them to change everything about Zoom? Yeah, no, of course. Of course not, but they wouldn't. Well, actually, once Phillips bought Zoom from us, they could do whatever they wanted. Like uh, That's buying. I agree. I'm talking license. Right. When we right. sold the brand to Mattel, 2001, a jerk baby, do it. Right. But until whole different then, deal. Whole different deal. Whole different ball of wax. Now, did you ever find any way to kind of build any ancillary things off of this? Or were you just basically a one-trick pony that just stayed focused on this? Well, technically a one-trick pony, but it was a big pony. I mean, we yeah, were that's doing, okay. It could be a racehorse. <laughs> we, were, we were doing really well. But, but the game business or any other business, it's a fashion business. So we didn't just have Pictionary. We realized pretty quickly after a year and a half, two years, we did a junior version. That's a segment. That's a there you go. Market. That we did a party edition. We did a travel edition. We did a Bible edition, a second edition. So we just kept coming up with new Pictionary iterations. Oh yeah, it, it just kept us top of mind and something to you know talk about to the press. I mean, you got to keep top of mind somehow. Yeah. And what yeah. are you doing? What are you doing now? Uh, talking to you, but no, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing speaking weirdly. I'm looking at getting back into creating some games. I've been, uh, uh, looking at that. It's like, I've got all this creativity, all these ideas have been floating around and it's just a different mindset. So I'm, I'm actually, uh, looking at doing that, but I'm, I'm enjoying the heck out of my life. 
I mean, I, and I think you wrote a book, no? I did called Game Changer. Let's that talk was, about that. Yeah, man, that was cool. That was fun. It's a, what, what's just, Game Changer about? It's my experience. My By the way, experience. great title. Yeah, yeah, a little double entendre there. You uh, know, isn't it fun coming up with names for things? It's a blast. You know, when I first realized I had a knack for it, um, I was at UCLA and, you know, UCLA are the Bruins, right? And there was a contest, a school-wide contest to come up with the name for a news column at UCLA. Right, right. Had a special part of the newspaper that was just going to be news. And I don't know, I think you won 150 bucks. It wasn't much. But, um, but the one I submitted won. Oh, wow. So do you, so that's the whole Wait, process. don't you want to ask what it was? What was it? That's what I was going to ask your process for. All right. What's brewing? <laughs> Cute, that, right? I mean, that is so simple. It's perfect. Yeah. It's, and, it's and I'll tell you, perfect. you know who Shiat Day is, right? The biggest ad agency in LA. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when we developed our tooth whitening product, we hired them. Uh, my partner came from the Giorgio family and, and, you know, he said, no, no, we got you. And literally they gave us 500 names for our white. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. One day I'm at the gym. I go every day. And Robert was there with me, my business partner. And he said, I just had the biggest smile on my face. And he looked at me, he goes, you have it, don't you? I said, I do. And he looked at me and said, what? I said, night white. And that was it. And we we took it we took it to the bank. And Night White became the number one tooth whitening product in the world till Zoom. There you go. Somehow you just sometimes you just have to trust yourself, your intuition. Yeah. yeah. And farm it out. Try and it, it was the perfect name because back then you would make trays for the patient. You yeah. put the gel in, you go to sleep. Right, right. Night white, right? Boom. It flows. So, catchy. I like it. It's fun, right? Totally fun. It's fun. And it's descriptive and fun. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the book and where is it for sale now? On, I'm sure on Amazon. Yeah. Amazon for sure. Uh, yeah. It's just my journey. It's a, it's a narrative. So I go through, you know, being a waiter, uh, not having any future, if you will, discovering the idea, the obstacles that we overcame and, you know, plenty of obstacles and how we managed the product for 20 years and then sold it to Mattel. But it's a really fun story uh, of how it all happened. I mean, Everybody's got a Pictionary story. Everybody's right. in the game. So I have a challenging question for you. Let's say I'm a student yeah. and I just came up with like the next new big game. Yeah. You're not going to go to door to door. People don't even answer their doors anymore. <laughs> no, <right. laughs> a lot of people live in like security buildings. So, that, so right. what, what would I do? Like if I came up with this amazing game, I, I'm not going to walk into Nordstrom. I mean, who, who do you talk to? At Nord, you know, like what, what, right. would, what would you do? Well, you got to get the game places that people don't usually see games because everybody's on Kickstarter. Everybody is on uh, trying to sell at Amazon, but you've got to sample the game. The one key for Pictionary was people played the game. So we made little gift packs of cards. And so one sample the game Two. Exactly what you said earlier, though, Bill, is get people to play it that have never played it to see if it's as fun, as engaging, and the rules. And do with people that play games. Uh, Jeff Hoffman, who invented Priceline, 
he wanted to do Priceline. He went to his friends and they go, he says, uh, how about a product where you don't get miles, but you get discounted tickets? Well, of course, all his friends said no, because they don't, that's not them. He went to the grocery store and asked moms and that's his market. So find out what your market is, do a great prototype, play it. And then if you want to take the next step, go from there. All right. That sounds awesome. And I hope that you will come to Leap 2023. We'd uh, love to have you back. The students loved you at Leap 2022. And I wish you the most success ever. And I will buy a copy of your book. I do appreciate that. This is fun. And absolutely uh, going to Leap this year was an absolute joy. So happy to do it. Well, thank you. All right. Another great meet from mentor, Dr. Bill, over and out. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leapfoundation or on Instagram at leapfoundation. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.